Hi, I'm Tony. I'm Patrick. And welcome to uh, Cave to the Cross Apologetics. Today we're going to start a brand new book that uh, we're kind of excited about. Mm-hmm. It's uh, one that uh, has been put together based on Greg Bonson's lecture. It's called Against All Opposition, Defending the Christian Worldview. And uh, if you don't know Greg Bonson or haven't heard of him, uh, you are missing out on a treat. This guy was tremendously, uh, well, he was brilliant, right? He, he kind of pushed presuppositionalism to the forefront during uh, the time that he was uh, writing and debating and speaking and that sort of thing. And uh, Gary Delmar has put together uh, a series of Bonson's lectures uh, that he did for the American Vision uh, um, uh, and um, and he put together those uh, lectures in this particular book. And so we want to spend some time kind of looking at the ideas that uh, Greg Bonson has put out, especially with regard to presuppositional apologetics. So uh, the, the book begins with a preface by uh, Gary Delmar, and uh, he says, at the center of every worldview is what might be called the touchstone proposition, right? So a proposition is a statement that's either true or false, right? So uh, that's the idea of, uh, you know, what he's getting at here. The basic proposition, this, a statement that is, um, you know, is kind of the, the, the we might say, the thesis statement, right? right? So a touchstone proposition, and here it is, of the world that, of the worldview, right? So the center of every worldview is what might be called, he says, the touchstone proposition, of that worldview. It's a proposition that is held to be the fundamental truth about reality and serves as a criterion to determine which other propositions may or may not count as candidates for belief, right? So it's the key, it's the touchstone, it's the, the major um, idea and, and everything else, all the rest of the truths or statements or propositions kind of center around this touchstone proposition, yeah. right? It's it's the ultimate standard. It's 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 the the, the swinging door. It's the, the things that you'll let in and say, "Up, oh, yep, this agrees with me," or this is the things to keep out and say, "I don't agree with this," and here's here are the reasons why because uh, uh, the things aren't able to kind of uh, cross the threshold. And we we talked about this uh, with our book, "How to Be an Atheist" uh, by by uh, Mitch Stokes, mm-hmm. Dr. Mitch Stokes, and you know he he talks about um, that everyone has this uh, the the most uh, uh, nerdiest of all scientists who, who doesn't who doesn't uh, trespass into the world of politics or department politics or anything. He just wants to sit there with his beakers and and lab kits and and uh, uh, reams full of data, uh, and and he looks at that data with an understanding that there are things that he can let in and the things that he can't. Uh, that uh, he won't allow to come in because uh, that are unacceptable uh, based on how he views the uh, the way the world works. And and this isn't a a denial of reality here. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's uh, presuppositions or, or, or ideas that come in. So, so uh, the the idea that uh, the world is flat is not a a, a way that NASA scientists can uh, let come in or their calculations will be off and they, won't be able to get people to and from the International Space Station. And so uh, th- those ideas aren't allowed to kind of cross that threshold. It's, it's not part of their ultimate, uh, ultimate standard uh, th- th- that they allow because they're unable to then work within the framework of 
of uh, that that kind of second step is establishing uh, your foundation and then building upon it and doing things with it. Mm-hmm. And so um, that, that's what's uh, being talked about here. So uh, DeMar goes on to say that uh, defending the Christian worldview against unbelieving thought takes an understanding that every worldview has a centralized guiding principle that serves as a foundational uh, uh, operational assumption about the nature of reality. Is it real? So this is, yeah, <laughs> so this is kind of a metaphysical claim, right? right? Every worldview has a metaphysics, right? Uh, the nature of reality type of thing that it takes as basic to what the way the world is mm-hmm. and how it operates and that sort of thing. And I think that's what he's getting at yeah. here, right? Yeah. Is it all a simulation? Is, is it all, um, uh, is it all just in my mind uh, or uh, is reason and logic uh, just there as a human construct that uh, works or is there, is there something more to, to that? Uh, is it physical or is, you know, mm-hmm. is all the world physical, just a material type of world? Are there non-physical elements yeah. of the world? That yeah. kind of stuff. Those are, you know, kind of basic guiding principles uh, of a person's worldview. Right. Uh, morality. Uh, the, the, the clash of human history is a clash between uh, different standards of morality. Uh, Genghis Khan, uh, you know, versus uh, the, the the Chinese population that he <laughs> he uh, brutalized and conquered and overtook in more ways than one. Uh, uh, you know, you you, you have uh, George Washington who who uh, operates on uh, uh, power <laughs> not being uh, grabbed uh, completely, and 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 the the the, the more ethical. Uh, point of view is to to give it away after eight years or whatever. Mm, yeah. So uh, it, you know, depending on on which area of reality you're talking about, uh, these things come into play. But then at the very foundation of it all is kind of where we want to point to and where it starts. So Christians tend to attack symptoms, the the rotten fruit of unbelieving thought, he calls it, rather than expose the root that gives life to a tree. So you might uh, have someone that says, "Oh, Jesus never existed." Here's 72 different articles talking about how uh, Jesus existed. We're very confident. Uh, there's a high probability, according to whatever model, uh, it comes to one or close to one, and uh, we're more confident in it than than, than not. Uh, and so I'm going to kind of uh, shock an approach and, and try and take the hill that way by just th- throwing numbers at it. Mm-hmm. And, and uh, it, it's okay to, to kind of do that. When, when that becomes the only basis for how we do it, or there's actually a better way to do it, which is to talk about things like uh, the knowledge of history. And, okay, so Jesus never existed. How do you understand history? Are we able to know things that happened yesterday or mm. before the age of the video camera? Mm. Or are, are we just, uh, you know, all liars and there's no one that is able to be accurate with uh, the understanding of history? And so those things, again, you, instead of, confronting the, the the opposition that way you take a step back and say okay what are the foundation underlying beliefs of that statement that's uh, that's been being put forth and so that's the one where we can he says uh, expose the root and so yeah. we have a better understanding of what that person's idea of what history is then we can then go on to inform them and talk about the competing views of history mm. The Bible uh, says uh, that the axe is already laid at the root of the trees with the result that every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Right. And so instead of attacking this, uh, the symptoms, he's suggesting we go toward the root, the fundamental operational assumption mm-hmm. of the particular worldview that we're considering. Right. right. 
And, uh, and so he begins by saying that the biblical apologetics means to offer a defense, right? That's apologia. That's, that's the word here. And it's practiced in different ways by Christians. Some Christian apologists, he tells us, try to appeal to skeptics by presenting a boatload of facts. And that's what you were talking about <laughs> right. just a minute ago, right? With this evidential uh, method, he tells us the claim is made that facts are neutral and speak for themselves. And so here are the facts, here are the facts, here are the facts. Can't you see what yeah. I'm what what they're saying dug up a bone in the dirt that's right we can all see it yeah and therefore we know it's a million years old it's true it's true because it is or it was put there yesterday (laughs) made in china (laughs) Uh, he says others believe that reason alone so not just evidential facts right what we see in the world but reason alone devoid of any prior presuppositions he says is an impossibility right. is the best way to defend the faith. So we defend the faith by either presenting facts, these evidential claims, right? Here's the evidence. Here's the evidence. Or we defend the faith by reason alone, you know, and, um, and without any prior presuppositions. And so those are at least a couple of approaches that he suggests Christians attempt to, to, to do. Right. Right. <clears throat> we, 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 that, that's, that's the, the route we should want to want to take is, is having an understanding that we all have presuppositions, so let's let's talk about them. Let's figure out where we exist in relationship to each other with those starting points, because then we uh, uh, can build upon that and, and see where we stand, so that we can talk about them. And so, uh, presuppositionalism, uh, kind of what's uh, uh, talked about in the proper, is is getting back to the those sources of things like the nature of reality, uh, reason, ethics. Uh, uh, or reason, logic, and then ethics as well. And so um, um, having that as a starting point will uh, help us lay a a better foundation for a discussion where it's not just saying, okay, I'll give you everybody, including, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, the entire world of of Christian skeptics. And so let let me prove from there uh, my ideas. Well, you might only be able to get then a little point and he's saying you don't have to go that far let's let's take a step back and say if this world is created by god then all facts are god's facts and so there's not there's not a, a these are my facts these are your facts for your position all of them uh, speak to it and so we want to talk and draw the biggest circle around it which is yeah. everything right. the <laughs> heavens declare created. the glory of god <laughs> right, right? Yeah. so that's everything visible yeah. invisible <laughs> under the earth, the earth above the yeah. earth yeah yeah <laughs> So even scientists admit the fact that factual neutrality and reason alone approaches are impossible because the practice of science rests upon a number of presuppositions about the nature of reality, and we usually take that for granted. Yeah, so we take for granted the fact that we can know things. We think we take for granted the orderliness of, of nature and what we see and that sort of thing. We take it for granted that this experiment that we did yesterday, uh, w- if we did it again, it'll happen the same way today, right. right? We just kind of assume that those are those are presuppositional assumptions about the way the world right. works and without them, we could do very little science or at least we wouldn't even be motivated to do science. But if we thought that the world was just chaotic and anything could happen, then we couldn't come up with any scientific um, principles and laws because we wouldn't think there are any, right? Even the collection of of data uh, in my uh, philosophy of science class, uh, we talked about uh, this kind of uh, uh, theoretical uh, scientist who 
who was uh, super smart. And so he decided uh, what he was going to do for the rest of his life until he was 80 years old was to write everything that he possibly observed or seen or did. <laughs> and he would write it all down. And then at the end of his 80 years, he would give them over to the scientific community and say, here, you're welcome. <laughs> and they would look at it and go, this says nothing. Right. I mean, these are yeah. observations, but we don't know what what point they're they're driving to. Right. We don't know. Uh, what understanding you're coming from, what, you know, the, the, the data out there is, is fine, but, but you need, you need kind of that filter to, uh, to let out the things that, uh, that don't inform uh, anything about what you're uh, observing, you know, uh, uh, how much water is in the ocean isn't going to tell you uh, the, the makeup of Betelgeuse in the Orion, <laughs> uh, you know, constellation. Uh, and so uh, having that is fine, but it's, it's not uh, something that, uh, uh, is helpful. And so th th this uh, kind of approach will help to um, kind of orientate yourself in an understanding of, okay, exactly what lens am I supposed to be uh, looking through it rather than every lens or no lens or, or whatever it is. We, no one comes to, to any uh, idea with that. You have your presuppositions and it's always good to kind of take a look at those presuppositions and make sure that they're in accord with what you actually believe um, uh, but, uh, uh, that's one of the points that, uh, I think the de debate, um, uh, within the, that field, uh, brings out, uh, uh, well as well. Mm -hmm. So certain operating assumptions are assumed. Otherwise, no science or communication can take place. Right. Uh, I, I believe that I can talk to you. I'm talking to you, dear viewer right now. Can you understand me? Well, I'm going to assume so. Why? Well, because you've clicked on a video, uh, it's in English, you've continued to, to get to this point. And so we can have an assumption that uh, not only are you listening to uh, this in a language you understand, but there are ideas by these mouth movements that I'm making <laughs> and vocal cord movements that correspond with things out in the world that you can relate to. So that's one of those things where even communication uh, has an assumption. The issue, however, is how to account for these prior assumptions and how they fit within the context of, for us, a biblical worldview. Mm -hmm. That's what Greg Bonson's Against All Opposition does from start to finish. Yeah. Good. From the Roman numerals to the very end of the page. <laughs> and so uh, uh, Gary D uh, DeMar tells us that the Bible shows that apologetics and worldviews in general deal with fundamental assumptions that guide reason and give meaning to facts. Right. A facts become a fact becomes evidence that is meaningful when it's applied to a particular theory. Mm -hmm. Right. Otherwise, it's just something that happens. Right. So evidence is when you take a fact and you say, uh, you know, I believe this is the case. Here is this fact. And it, uh, you know, increases the probability of my theory. Something like that. Right. So that's what we mean by evidence. So we use apologetics, he tells us, every day. Right. Every time we defend our view of a subject over the opinions of others, he says, we are practicing apologetics. It's no less true in the defense of the Christian faith uh, as against all oppositions. And he, uh, he, he talks about Paul on Mars Hill. Right. He says Paul makes his defense of the Christian worldview in Athens by confronting a worldview based on Greek philosophy. So notice Paul was confronting a worldview. Mm -hmm. how they viewed the world, what their basic assumptions were about the way the world is or was and how it operated. And so Paul offers an apologia, that's our word for apologetics, right? A defense of the Christian worldview over against 
the prevailing Greek worldview. That's mm-hmm. what Paul was doing. He was making this contrast and showing how the Christian worldview was superior to the Greek worldview right. in Acts chapter 17. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to the unknown God, I will reveal the unknown God to you. Guess what? It's our God. And in fact, <laughs> all these other gods are false gods. Here's the, the real one, the one that you're not worshiping. And the, the reason uh, that they laugh at him, uh, some do, is uh, because he talks about the resurrection of the dead. And so they, they, they assumed uh, that uh, all of life is, is kind of this veil. It's all evil. And uh, really, it's only the kind of the, the spiritual world that, uh, that houses everything. So when you die, that's, you know, that's the ultimate glory is, is, is uh, you know, going to, to, to Sheol and, and, and uh, you know, living uh, uh, from there a, a good life. And so there's no resurrection of the dead. <laughs> Again, there's the assumption. There's the clash of the assumptions. And there, are, there were some that listened to him, and there were some that believed, and there were some that confronted their assumptions with that and wanted to. Uh, and so the, uh, that's what the, the end of that story um, uh, entails for us. Mm-hmm. Damar goes on to say that the mind is designed by God for a kind of five um, uh, areas. One is reason, uh, two is test, to test, uh, another is to investigate, <coughs> another one is to examine, and the fifth is to accumulate knowledge through the study of the Bible, creation, history, experience, and everything else, but within certain interpretive first principles that we call presuppositions. So this is kind of the undertaking of the Christian worldview. The Christian worldview says God created all things he fashions uh, his creation uh, uh, in a certain way, and then he creates uh, humans in a very special way and imbues them with certain traits that he holds. And uh, there's uh, nothing uh, apart from his uh, communication or understanding or uh, the, the way he has ordered the world that we can escape and get away from. And so some of those areas are these five things where we can accumulate knowledge. We, we have a uh, 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 a, a sense that we can trust our memories, uh, that we can look at the world, we can uh, know it now and we can know it uh, in the future, and then we can be confident of the things that we knew uh, back then. We can reason from certain things. So there looks like there's traffic in the street. I'm going to safely assume there's traffic <laughs> in the street. Um, and so all these things are are um, are the the. The touchstone, the ultimate worldview, uh, the ultimate uh, um, uh, standard that uh, that we go back to as as the the touchstone. We are commanded to test the spirits, to test all things. First John four one to examine everything and hold fast to which is good. First Corinthians five twenty one. Christian apologists give reasons as to why they believe what they know is true. So, even in the context of the Christian worldview, we have the ability and the uh, direction to accumulate and and to uh, to give out that source of information. We're told to preach the, the gospel. That's the, the saving power of, of, the, uh, of, of humanity, but it's also how we can know the world around us and, and it gives us a proper understanding. So, Yeah, and so then after that, he kind of makes a really, really important point. Here. He says that in a, in, in a biblical defense of the Christian faith, God is not the one on trial. Right. Uh, and, you know, uh, I'm always reminded that C.S. Lewis. God book. in the docks. Yeah, God in the docks. <laughs> and he says that's not the case, right? He says, how can a finite, fallible, fallen creature, uh, you know, ever uh, be in a position to competently judge 
eternal things, right. right? How is it possible that the creature can legitimately question the creator? This, you know, kind of echoes back to the questions that God asked Job, right, in the book, near the end mm-hmm. of the book of Job. So the Christian apologist, he tells us, is not given the option to adopt a neutral position when defending the faith. Neutrality assumes that man and God are kind of on the same equal footing, right? God is here, I'm here, and we're kind of, you know, we can argue together, right? right? He says, no, no. Christians are commanded not to he calls us foolish, right? Christians are commanded not to answer a fool according to his folly. Why not? Well, if we try to do this, he tells us, we'll be like the fool, right? right? And his misguided assumptions and be classified a fool if we assume neutrality or use his operating assumptions, Proverbs uh, 26.4. The Bible assumes that worldviews based on premises that are contrary to the Bible are foolishness. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we don't want to, to do that is what he's suggesting here. We right. don't we don't want to try to stand on uh, a faulty, foolish foundation in our attempt to defend uh, what God has to say. Right. Right. And, and the opposition uh, doesn't stand in the dock and or in, in the, the, the place of judgment and says, uh, yeah, you know, 51 percent of me says I'm more convinced that God exists than not. I'll, I'll accept him. Uh, what they do is they stand in the very lap of God and try and smack him in the face. Mm, mm, that, yeah. that, that's the ultimate uh, uh, word picture that we can get here. Uh, and I like C.S. Lewis as much as the next person, if not a little bit more. And his uh, his book on miracles is a presuppositional <laughs> book, whether he, he wanted to believe so or not. Um, so uh, uh, we go on to say that uh, an apologetic methodology that claims a Christian should be open and objective and tolerant of all opinions when he defends the faith is like a person who hopes to stop a man from committing suicide by taking the hundred story plunge with him, hoping to convince the lost soul on his way down. No one in his right mind would make such a, a concession to foolishness. So, so we, we don't want to join. Right? So yeah. So we, how do we uh, convince the person to, to not hit the bottom after they jump? Well, we jump with them and then try to say, you know, you really <laughs> yeah. shouldn't be jumping. Yeah. It's going to, you know, hurt or kill you. And you know, let me try to convince you not to, you know. No, no, no. He says yeah. that's not what we do. We don't, you know, we don't get on their ground in an attempt to uh, to do this. Yeah. Right? Think about if, if you're in a debate, whether, uh, you know, a friendly rivalry or, or a, a, a legitimate one in front of a thousand people. And the topic of the debate is, uh, d- did the Red Sea split for the Israelites to uh, cross the Red Sea? Okay. The, what you need to do to be reasonable is to put down your Bible, to not talk about it, and to, to, to prove to the audience and to the other person that, uh, that this happened. So we can right. kind of talk about, well, the Israelites were in the region <laughs> at the time. Uh, you know, uh, there are certain uh, known effects that can happen from time to time where winds blow and uh, silt uh, can can build up where you can kind of get this idea of of walking across, yeah. or we or even worse, we can say, well, the Egyptians really had no record of this, and so can we really, <laughs> you know, uh, accept this because there is no real written. I mean, there's the Bible, but you know, yeah. there's no Egyptian yeah. written record of this, and so is, did it really happen? Kind right. of thing, right? right? Yeah. And so what what they're asking you to do is. Okay, put down your belief about who God is, that he operates, that he uh, takes an interest in a specific people group, uh, that he is able to interact with his creation. Lay all that aside and then prove to me. Why would I, why would I <laughs> say I believe this because of this if I'm just going to lay it down? That, that, that's 
putting myself at not just a disadvantage, but I'm essentially lying to the person. And so what I'm asking, uh, what I'm doing by not uh, uh, putting those presuppositions down is I'm just meeting that person on their same level in that we both hold to certain presuppositions, to certain ideas that we approach different uh, avenues of, of facts and those facts becomes evidence in certain ways. And my burden is I have to make all things uh, uh, evidence for my position <laughs> because God controls everything. Uh, and so I have to be really, really smart or uh, that's where the faith comes into play there, <laughs> that trust. <laughs> But Christians do this all the time, and when they adopt the uh, operating uh, presuppositions of unbelieving thought as if they were neutral assumptions about reality, there, there's no neutrality of assumptions. We, we can get to a common level of neutrality in that we're all created in the image of God, we're all able to uh, observe things, but e- even even the act of observation is, is something that... Uh, 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 you would be in disagreement with someone who is a materialist. Well, I observe these things and we can pull truth facts from them. Well, the, the materialist would say, well, all, all we're able to, to grab are things that are beneficial for our survival. And so uh, if I'm being consistent with my standard, I don't know those are true things. I know those are survivable knowledge things that, that uh, the, at least uh, to the, the point where we're at as a species and as an organism that I am, I may be a better evolved by, by a, a monicum. And so I'm <laughs> able to trust this uh, uh, observation more, uh, but we're only able to know uh, the, the truth from it because of survivability. You want to say that there's some esoteric, uh, uh, fuller understanding of truth that resides out there, that uh, that thing will remain there even if we're gone. Okay. That's that's the presuppositions that we're we're coming into to, to to butt heads with, and so we just want to be open and honest about that, and then observe that and say, can we can we look at first principles to say, uh, are we able to operate uh, with those assumptions, and what do those assumptions lead to? Those are kind of our two questions. All right. So uh, Greg Bonson's against all opposition is the definitive apologetic starting point to help Christians develop a sound biblical apologetic methodology. So right. again, an intro book. Uh, that uh, is, um, is, is there to kind of lead us into um, uh, an idea of, of looking at uh, a biblical worldview, biblical foundations, and the presuppositions that we have or should have that uh, maybe you haven't uh, kind of uh, realized yet that, that flow out of uh, your uh, announcement that you're a Christian. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good. And so that takes us to the end of his uh, uh preface and now we want to move to um the introduction to the book right so let's spend just a few minutes here Mm -hmm. on his uh introduction so that we can get a feel for where he's headed here and then we'll jump into next time jump into chapter one so he, he begins the introduction by uh Kind of a, a story. He says, in February 1973, Jesus Christ redeemed me in a darkly lit pub in Ann Arbor, Michigan. He says, I was in the final months of my senior year at Western Michigan University. Go Broncos, right? Uh, he says, my athletic career had faltered a few years before, and I performed just well enough to keep his scholarship. So that's where he was when the Lord met him. He was in this, you know, kind of pub, and he was talking to one of his friends, Right. right? Right, so he says his friend Bill drove him to, to the meet. He did his athletic thing and then spent the next few hours just randomly going around Ann Arbor 
uh, in a pub where he ended up hearing the gospel. Uh, the the story that he tells is one of, uh, you wouldn't believe it if it didn't actually happen. Type, type deal. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My life changed in an instant, he says, as he headed back to the house where he was living with a drug dealer, a vagrant that looked like Charles Manson, and a few other disreputable <laughs> Uh, occupants. <laughs> wow. He so says, uh, as expected, his Christian faith became an issue because he lacked the ability to offer a coherent defense. Yeah. So yeah. He doesn't know what to do. Now. Right. And so what he does here is uh, he graduated from college a few months later. And then within a year, he was a student at Reformed Theological Seminary in Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah, a little bit what we saw with Mitch Stokes. Yeah, story. exactly. Yeah. So he just jumps into seminary because <laughs> he wants answers. Right. And uh, he says, uh, you know, he was taking courses in Greek and Hebrew and systematic theology and church history and hermeneutics and apologetics and all these types of things you know, uh, in, in seminary. And it was at uh, Reformed Theological Seminary that he met Greg Bonson, right? Bonson was an associate professor of apologetics and ethics, and Bonson at the time was working on his PhD. Right. So over time, they uh, worked together on some conferences, publishing projects, and his uh, book, Always Ready, Bonson's book, Always Ready, includes articles that uh, he wrote for the American Visions Biblical Worldview magazine. Mm -hmm. For three years, Greg spoke at American Visions week-long preparation conferences in the 90s. Right. And so now, you know, he says, we come to Against All Opposition, the book that we have here. He says, not long ago, he started listening to talks that Greg gave at the American Visions uh, conference, uh, the Second Life Preparation Conference. He says he was struck with how fundamentally basic and impacting the material was. Uh, many books dealing with biblical apologetics, he's, he suggests, assumes too much, uh, you know, from the reader, right? right. Greg was kind of uh, basic, right, and understandable. He says most Christians don't have the time or inclination to study the topic in depth, right? And so... Um, to, to make biblical apologetics accessible to more Christians, especially young people, American Vision described, decided to transcribe and edit the lectures and publish them in a way that would benefit a growing interest in biblical apologetics from a presuppositional perspective. Even, uh, again, the, the term presuppositionalism, uh, you know, it, it, if you haven't taken a, a philosophy class or, or, or kind of dealt with it, you, you might kind of grit your teeth and go, oh, presuppositions. <laughs> assumptions before you make the uh, uh, your actual assumptions of what you're talking about. Uh, so uh, that's what this book intends to do. American Vision's long-term goal is to continue and enhance the legacy of the work of uh, Greg Bonson to the glory of God and the advancement of his kingdom. And uh, Tony and I were looking at <laughs> just Bonson's uh, plethora of, 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 of um, lectures, lectures and, yeah. and, and, and yeah. talks and everything that's uh, available on Sermon Audio. And, I mean, just pulling out uh, books from from his his uh, his topics on his lectures uh, are are still there. So, right. um, uh, you know, I've 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 listened to other presuppositional people say, "Oh, I've I've got most of my training in presuppositionalism, not from school or from taking classes, but it's from going through Bonson's library and just just listening and and thinking it over and reading different articles about something that uh, hit or didn't hit." And and uh, so I think that's a, a pretty impressive. Uh, uh, legacy for somebody who, who we would say, oh, he he died in the the the, the prime of his life. He was you know the 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 Michael Jordan right before uh, you know the, the the first championship, and, and you know he may have gotten a ring, but you know I'm sure seven would happen after that. But uh, but you know we we just never know. And and the the fact that he's still so impactful with the audio quality that we do have, 
um, is is interesting and, and has spawned spawned out from there of, of still greater interest. It didn't die with with uh, with Bonson. It didn't die with Fantil. And um, you know, people are are interacting with his stuff and 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 making more out of it. And it's exactly what the the church should be doing of, of building these legacies from uh, people in the church. Yeah. And so he says that uh, the American vision's long-term goal is to continue and enhance the legacy of Dr. Greg Bonson uh, to the glory of God and advancement of, the, of his kingdom. And he ends his, um, his introduction here by quoting Bonson <laughs> in his presuppositional apologetics stated and defended. Bonson says, we must not be satisfied to present Christianity as the most reasonable position to hold among the competing options available. Rather, the Christian faith is the only reasonable out, outlook available to men. And so right. that's kind of the position, the stance that he takes, right? <laughs> right. It's the only one that works, yeah. right? It's, it's not the close approximation. <laughs> we'll eventually get there. No, no, this is the only one. Yeah. And so that, dear Christian, is your job as well, is to always be prepared to give a response that entails only one answer, that incorporates all of everything that has ever existed, will exist, or has happened. So things like, what about evil, mm-hmm. is in there. And so yeah. uh, not uh, uh, explicitly stated in, in uh, presuppositional form or, or critique, but, uh, but uh, Christensen's book is very presuppositional because it does what? It doesn't start with man and reasons up, but it starts with the idea of God exists, the, uh, what, what's in the Bible is true, and what do we see from there? And so right. uh, do we have an explanation for why there is evil? You can be the person that says, oh, why did this bad thing happen? And slap God in the face. This is evil. How dare you? But you're only able to do that because you have an idea of what evil is. And you're, you're sitting on your, your creator's lap and, and slapping and trying to <laughs> slap him in, in, in the face. Yeah. Wow. That's, so, that's so good luck. Yeah. As you join us in Against All Opposition, Defending the Christian Worldview by... Uh, Greg Monson, and with uh, very special thanks to uh, Gary DeMar and uh, American Vision for putting this out and for um, all those people that released their copyrights so that we can uh, have uh, uh, Bonson's uh, uh, words with us. Uh, again, uh, there are three books uh, in this series so far, Against All Opposition, and then Impossibility of the Contrary, and Pushing the Antithesis. Pushing the Antithesis uh, was out before, uh, but um, they've uh, republished uh, it and uh, included it into this pack. Uh, not sure if we're going to do these three, but uh, looking at just the, the, the topics for the other two, because I've already read Against All Opposition and put all my, my little sticky notes and, <laughs> and uh, um, uh, chapter breakdowns in here uh, of, of notes of the major points. Um, uh, it's not outside the possibility, but uh, the, the coverage that uh, is entailed in all the, the other ones, if you have these three books... Uh, you've, you've got a good, very good grasp of uh, presuppositionalism, how to respond, and what about when they answer back? And so all, all of those uh, kind of topics are included in, in those three books. So uh, we're just covering the first one, Against All Oppositions. You can get it in the link uh, below that's uh, provided at uh, American Vision. And uh, hopefully you'll join us next time as we dig into uh, Chapter 1 of uh, Greg Bonson's lecture book series. See you next time.